0: Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and partner at Brody Thorning LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, we discuss the topic of divorce and financial abuse. And this is a really important topic. It's one that I haven't specifically addressed before, although I've you know, talked a lot about abuse. Um, But this is an area that, you know, is fairly widespread, and, um, you know, often ties in with other areas of abuse, but um, can be a standalone. And so I'm really excited to have on the podcast, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, she's a a repeat guest. And so uh, welcome back, Jennifer, I'm really happy to have you. here. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me back. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here again.
0: And for listeners who um, maybe didn't uh, weren't able to tune into your last podcast, can you just tell um, listeners a little bit about yourself, your background and what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, a divorce coach. Um, I used to be a banker, so I have a finance background. I'm a CDFA. And my coaching practice really focuses on helping level the playing field for women. A lot of my clients have been out of the workforce and feel um, really intimidated by the whole divorce process all of the legal and financial decisions they'll have to make. So I help to walk them through that. I also deal with a lot of women who are dealing with coercive control issues like financial abuse and helping them navigate that where there's, you know, a very big power imbalance with their spouse. Um, So it's doing a lot of, you know, coaching, boundary work, conflict management, that kind of thing to really help them, you know, take back their own power through the divorce process.
0: And that's so important and so needed. So why don't we start off by just me asking you the general question, what is financial abuse?
1: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we're, we're all very thankful. And I, I sit on a national task force for the Canadian Centre for Women's um, Empowerment. And the task force actually deals with financial and economic abuse. So we're all very glad to see that the new Divorce Act that's uh, rolling out you know, this March, comes into effect this March, um, actually defines financial abuse. Um, as an element of family violence. So, you know, they define it, as as do I, as forcing someone to work or not letting them work, blocking someone from accessing their bank account, withholding money from someone or controlling how they spend it, and incurring debts in someone's name without their knowledge. So, you know, anytime there is one partner in the relationship who does not let the other one have access to money, um, as a means of controlling them, that tends to fall under that blanket of financial abuse.
0: And how common would you say this problem is?
1: It's, it's very common. I mean, people are only starting to track it, you know, in the UK and the US. And of course, in Canada, we are starting to track it. Um, UK studies have shown that financial abuse occurs in 97% of cases where there are other forms of abuse. So uh, other family violence and, you know, World Health Organization estimates that like one in four women, one in 10 men are victims of intimate partner violence. So, you know, we're really seeing it in most cases of intimate partner violence. It's about control and finances are just another way of controlling your partner. So, you know, we believe that it's quite pervasive.
0: Yeah, I I would would agree with that just on my own personal experience. And I am so grateful that the Divorce Act is Defining it and and the new provisions that are coming into effect, particularly with respect to domestic violence, are are long overdue and I think a step in the right direction. Um, now I touched upon it at the outset and you've just reaffirmed that with what you've said. I was you know my question was going to be, does it usually accompany other types of abuse or can it be something on its own? In my experience, it, it is usually present with. With the other types of abuse. Um, I'm wondering what your experience has been, or have you seen instances where it's really just focused on the financial and yeah, not so much it, other
1: types? I mean, it can be standalone. And, you know, I deal with quite wealthy clients. In most cases, it's just, you know, the, the way my practice has happened to, to fall. And, you know, in the case with very high income earning partners, particularly when one earns a lot of money, and the other one is, say, a stay-at-home parent. You know, again, abuse is just a means of controlling the other party. And so, you know, with some parties, they will, you know, physically do that. Um, in the case of very high income earners, when the other person doesn't necessarily have kind of their own money, and I'm using that in quotes because that's often the way the victim sees it, um, sometimes financial abuse is. And I'm not going to say all of it is required, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't move to physical abuse, because they can keep that person controlled simply using the finances. So, you know, uh, what we do find, though, as all elements of coercive control, it does tend to escalate. So whereas there may not have been physical violence in the beginning, you know, it may start with emotional abuse and financial abuse, you know, eventually often it will escalate into physical. So we see cases of long-term marriages where the physical abuse actually comes later in the marriage. So, you know, financial abuse for me is a very big warning sign that this is a person who has an abusive nature and that if you're the partner of that person, you should start making some plans to exit that relationship.
0: I think that's so true. And that ties into my next question, which is if someone is in a relationship, uh, and this type of behavior is happening there, you know, they don't have access to money, they, you know, perhaps they don't have their own credit card, they just use a supplemental card. Uh, and they feel that they're being controlled financially by their partner. What advice do you have someone who is listening to this podcast and is, finds himself in that exact situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a big signal, as I said, to get out of that relationship. And whenever you're looking at getting out of a relationship with someone who is abusive, uh, in any way, shape, or form, you need a safety plan. We talk a lot about safety plans when it comes to physical violence. Um, But you need a financial safety plan if you're planning on leaving someone who has been controlling you financially. So, you know, I always think that a lawyer is your very best friend, really in most situations involving divorce, but particularly when there is an element of abuse. And so getting the money together for a lawyer's retainer, um, if you have joint property or are married, it's you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to access that property until you get a lawyer on board. And you know, I, I can talk a little bit about some of the mechanisms that can be useful. but you know finding money, so whether you're selling things, starting to look at litigation, financing, asking friends and family. Um, we don't have contingency fees as an option in Ontario for family law, but talking to potential lawyers about how they handle retainers, because uh, you just want to know that when you make that decision to exit, that you have the means to access a lawyer who can put you know, some temporary orders in place, non-depletion orders, that kind of thing. Um, do- document everything. If you are experiencing this kind of abuse, the test really for whether you are being impacted by family violence, if you end up in court is evidence based. And so just like with physical violence, where, you know, we tell people to write down dates of incidents to take photographs of any physical injuries, with financial abuse, you know, if you go to the ATM, and, you know, it says for no funds, like keep those receipts. Um, if you have access to your online bank, you know, take, take snapshots, if you find bills in the house for, you know, debts or lines of credit you didn't know about, you know, take pictures of that on your phone, because you want to build up evidence that this was, you know, one sided, that you were not party to these dads. Um, you know, if, when you're starting to get out of the relationship, you know, start setting up accounts in your own name, a lot of women find that they don't have a great credit history. And therefore, you know, their credit rating isn't wonderful, because they have been on supplemental cards and not building credit in their own name. So, you know, get a little credit card, like a little, you know, like the one they give students like a $500, $1,000 credit card, start making small charges on it, pay it off every month, you know, so that you're starting to build credit ratings in your own name. Um, Change pin numbers, if you do have your own accounts, Um, you know, you just want to make sure that anything that is in your name isn't somehow compromised. Um, And a big element of financial abuse that isn't talked about as much, because we think of it as people like draining your bank accounts or not giving you access to cash. But very often abusers will often make it difficult to work, you know, they'll make you late for work. um, They'll cause a fuss at work. So, you know, you can work with your employer, to let them know, you know, I'm late again, could you just document when I'm late? You you don't necessarily have to get in the whys and wherefores. But if a third party is also documenting um, things, again, it can be helpful in court. So really, it's get some money together, so you can get a lawyer, document everything and start working on building your own credit rating and safeguarding your accounts. Those are kind of the three steps to think about in a safety plan.
0: Yeah. And I, those those are dead on. And it's it's such great advice. And, you know, from the legal perspective, um, you know, getting the lawyer, you know, it is important because, as, as you're mentioning, Jennifer, uh, the lawyer is going to be the one who can help you get that the non-depletion order and perhaps an order for exclusive, exclusive possession of the matrimonial home if yes. it's warranted. Um And they also can be in a position to get you some spousal support, child support on an interim basis, and even, you know, a disbursement towards your legal fees. Um, Yes, like an advance on
1: equalization has been negotiated in the past, and um, that can be really helpful because, you know, legal abuse often, especially during the divorce process, we find legal abuse goes hand in hand with financial abuse. So very often the abuser, particularly if they have more access to capital, will have all of these kind of frivolous uh, claims as part of the divorce process. And, you know, asking for all this stuff on disclosure, basically to try to, you know, run you down to the point where you have no more money for representation, which is why we see when a lot of women get to family court, like when they actually get to the court process, they're self-represented because it's been depleted. So the more you can work with your lawyer in advance to access those funds, the more power you're going to have in that negotiation process.
0: yes. and and lawyers will work with people on that. You know, I think for women or or men out there who you know are in this situation and they they're thinking like, I, I don't know how I'm going to retain a lawyer, like I don't have you know five thousand dollars or you know ten thousand dollars or whatever it might be to to retain them. Like, don't let that scare you off from speaking to a lawyer because, you know, retainers can sometimes have some flexibility to them. And again, there's oftentimes where we can get a disbursement, um, you know, in advance uh, from, you know, it, it might have to be set off against your equalization. But at any rate, you can at least get that money up front so that you can start getting some of these orders in place and, and have the money there to, to fight. What in your experience, Jennifer, what resources are there for people in this situation? because I know we, when you and I chatted um, a few weeks ago, one of the things that you know we discussed is that unfortunately a lot of people who find themselves in this situation um, they're they're not a group that often you know gets the level of empathy and understanding yeah. that perhaps they should. you know if you're being physically abused, um, you know, people readily recognize, you know, that is abuse and and, and th- that you need resources and help. But if you're driving around in an expensive car, and you're living in this massive home, um, but yet you actually really don't have any money because you don't have any access to any of it. And you can't even buy food because of it. You know, yeah. you're in an abusive situation, but y- you don't sometimes garner the the empathy and the resources aren't out there as easily for someone in that situation. So what resources are there?
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And um, I mean, right now, I mean, one of the silver linings of COVID is that, you know, one can actually access legal aid if they are experiencing domestic violence. And because of the new Divorce Act, financial abuse is considered family violence and so you know does allow you for a a couple of hours of free legal advice and possibly more and you know they're very good like if you're very focused in your discussions and say you know I need a non-depletion order or I need you know temporary exclusive possession of the matrimonial home because you know, right now he's in there and he's like selling everything, you know, to to deplete our asset picture, like he's giving everything away to his friends or whatever, because you you see all sorts of crazy behavior in divorce. Yeah. Um, You know, sometimes just using those two hours of legal aid will allow you to have an order in place to access resources to then go out and hire the lawyer of your choice, you know, to hire a family lawyer who has expertise in family violence, like Leanne and, you know, a number of her colleagues who have expertise in this because, you know, you really need an expert in this field to help you navigate it. Um, And so, you know, resources are legal aid again because they have temporarily suspended that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that go um, become permanent. I know in the UK, they have made it that your asset picture should not preclude you from receiving legal aid for this exact reason for financial abuse reasons and trapped capital. Um, You know, you mentioned very wealthy women um, being abused and and finding it hard to find resources. Um, Karen Gosby out of Calgary wrote a terrific book that came out uh, at the end of last year on exactly that. Very wealthy, you know, locked out of the house and sleeping in a Range Rover. And yet it's hard sometimes to access community and social services when you, you know, you're on paper very wealthy, even though you maybe can't even access $100 on your own. So, you know, legal aid, if your spouse has benefits, there are confidential EAP programs that will often give you, you know, a couple of hours access to a lawyer and a variety of lawyers. And again, this isn't necessarily about choosing the lawyer who's going to handle your divorce. It's about finding a lawyer who can get some temporary orders in place so that you can access the money to have some options for divorce. Um, women shelters and crisis lines can help provide access. There are sometimes, you know, temporarily, like kind of micro financing that you can can get. And again, it's, it's temporary. It's because sometimes that, you know, $5,000 so that you can find an attorney to access, you know, have the home sold, and you get your part of that, like, the trouble is, is that, the banking system hasn't really caught up with family law. Like family law is very good at looking at fairness. You know, the assets gained within a marriage are split, you know, pretty evenly between the parties with some some exceptions, of course, that a lawyer can guide you on. But the banking system and the credit system hasn't caught up. Like your family law agreement, your settlement agreement can say that you are not on the hook for, say, like big debts that were run up to be given to a third party weren't in your name. But if you are on that debt, if you're named on the line of credit, you know, the lender and creditor doesn't look at your family law agreement. They look at the agreement you made with them in terms of finance. So, because there is that disconnect between sort of what banks and credit card companies do and the family law, there's sometimes this temporary state where you really can't access money, even though through divorce, you'll be able to access it eventually. So it's, it's really just finding that temporary money. And this is where it's like, don't have pride, ask friends, ask family. This is a temporary loan. Um, and you really need to be able to hire the lawyer who can help you navigate this. And that's, you know, kind of the advice that I give to clients.
0: Again, it's such great advice. I, I know one of the things I see happen uh, you know, when you mentioned about debts being in both parties' names, and, you know, for example, a mortgage is, you know, you'll get this situation where the um, abusive person perhaps is refusing to pay the mortgage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the other partner doesn't understand that that's also going to affect their credit rating. They're on the line for that money, just as much as the abusive partner. And, you know, that can sometimes create a problem. I, I've seen, you know, that happen. in when the marriage goes south, but they're not, you know, they haven't got a settlement in place or any kind of equalization and and all of that. And the one party starts refusing to pay the mortgage, um, and, you know, it, it, it does, because it, it, even though it might have some people, you know, if they've been through bankruptcies or, you know, other yeah. types of things and they have a, a bad credit rating, they don't necessarily care if their credit rating is going to get wrecked again.
1: No. Um,
0: but, you, you know, if you're if you don't really have necessarily a credit rating or your credit rating is good, you don't want to then be starting your new divorce life. Uh, with a bad credit rating, because you were defaulting on a a mortgage, because you may need a mortgage in your new life. And, you know, and the other thing you've touched upon that I think was so important um, was credit cards. You know, there's a lot of people out a lot of women out there who, you know, don't have a credit card that's their their own in in their name, they're on a supplementary card of their spouse, and maybe have a huge credit limit, and then they find themselves divorced and they have no credit rating and so it's is you it's really important to get your own credit card even if yes. you hardly ever use it yeah. just to establish that credit
1: yeah absolutely um because you need your own strong credit rating and it it's very important like at the end of your you know divorce your lawyer will usually hand you a sheet of things you should do like making sure bank accounts are closed shutting down any sort of joint lines that you have and so, you know, sometimes people are just so happy that the divorce is over that they don't <laughs> actually do those things. And, um, you know, if if you're on a joint debt with a former spouse, and they bankrupt themselves, you know, suddenly you're responsible for all of it, even though, so it, it you really do need to listen to your lawyers and go through that post divorce documentation and, you know, check off every box, particularly when it comes to any kind of you know, debt, line of credit, credit cards, um, and, you know, refinance things and put them in your own name, you know, shut down the current line, refinance it with your bank, and put it into your own name. Because not only does that start to build up your history, which is great, your credit rating history, but um, it also means you're not going to somehow be on the hook for debts that your, you know, former spouse is incurring um, that you don't know about.
0: Exactly. Now you touched upon shelters. Is there any financial restriction or requirement for someone uh, to go to a shelter? If a, if a woman is fleeing a marriage um, where there's financial abuse uh, would she be able to access a a shelter?
1: Yeah, typically. Yes. Typically. Yes. And certainly I know on the national task force that I'm, I'm part of that's really focusing on financial abuse. um, There are leaders from a number of, you know, shelters on that. And certainly it's they take who comes to their door. Now, you know, under COVID, they're very busy. <laughs> you know, they're very busy yeah. places. So, you know, again, that's where I talk about getting plans into place because sometimes you need to wait until there's shelter space available. Um, you know, so the more you can do to, you know, maybe save some money so you can rent an apartment. And, you know, maybe it's that you're kind of skimming off the grocery money. And what, what I always like to say to client, because people say, well, I can't do that. You know, I can't take those assets. Um, everything comes out in the wash in divorce. But yes. sometimes you do need to secure some of that cash. So if it's deemed a marital asset, that will be sorted out. But the reality is you need some cash up front. So if there's gifts, you know, if you have a separate inheritance, you know, you, that money is typically yours, like, sell your bags that were gifts, sell jewelry um, to finance divorce. But the reality is, if you have to go into a joint account, take money in cash um, and kind of hide it, even though, you know, no one's recommending hiding assets during a divorce, that's frowned upon and that's why forensic accountants exist. But the reality is it will come out in the wash. And the most important thing is that you find some money for yourself to pay your lawyer so that they can get it all straightened out.
0: Exactly. If you know, if you have the money in a joint bank account, um, you, you know, I would advise somebody to, to take that money and put it in a separate account. Well, don't hide it. We'll account for it. You'll, you'll you'll acknowledge that you took it. And when, you know, equalization is sorted out that, you know, yes, the fact that you took that joint money, you're going to have to account for, for half of it, probably, um, there will be, you know, y- it will be accounted for. But if you need it in the short term to live, whether it's, you know, whether it's ha- to retain a lawyer, but or, or whether it's just to buy food and, and shelter, or, you know, meet some of your basic needs, if you can do that, um, don't do it clandestinely, but you yeah. can do it.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. to That's great to know. And that's great advice. Because, um, yeah, a lot of women, they're they're scared, you know, they're like, yeah. well, I've been told not to take money the, out of the account, but I'm like, well, you are allowed to take money to higher legal representation, like that is an allowed thing. Yeah. Um, and again, just, you know, as I said, keep documentation, keep documentation of what you're doing as well as what your partner's doing. Yes. Yeah.
0: Cause yeah. You, that's the thing you want to make it seem that it's all about board cause it is, and yeah. you're not trying to hide anything. You're just trying to cover your expenses and you have a right to do that. Um, it just don't hide it. Yes. Uh, now if someone is out there listening um, and you know, they're in a situation of financial abuse and they just feel like they're po- completely powerless. They're completely overwhelmed. They, they just, They feel like they have to stay in a bad marriage because it's just going to be too much to try to take on their wealthy spouse um is there hope you know if someone is willing to you know to leave and and take steps is there hope for someone who's in that kind of situation
1: and wants to leave absolutely i mean it is a hard process um when you're dealing with coercive control you know you're often dealing then with high conflict people And often people just feel honestly too exhausted after a rocky marriage to to then embark on what they think is going to be, you know, a high conflict divorce. Um, And so, you know, for those who are able to afford a coach, and I know we're, we're dealing with financial abuse. And so, you know, money is, of course, top of mind. Um, But whether it's working with a coach, or just, you know, looking online, there's so many good podcasts and things like that on dealing with high conflict people. Um, So it's like, you know, doing self care, getting enough sleep, drinking water so that you physically are able to to deal with this. Um, Learning communication styles for dealing with high conflict people. Like if you are going into a situation where you're going to be working with, you know, legal aid, Um, shelters, perhaps the police, you know, being able to keep calm and fact based during those discussions is really important. Same with articulating what's happening to your lawyer, like being able to talk to a potential lawyer and let them know specifically, like, this is the kind of abuse that I'm facing. This is what's happening. This is the information I've collected is so much more helpful than when we're in our emotional brains and really just overwhelmed by the sadness and anger. And that's completely normal. But it's also really not helpful in the divorce process, particularly if it's a high conflict abusive person. They're masters at kind of pushing your buttons, particularly when other people are watching. Um, and then you come across as sort of emotional and not knowing what you're doing. And it's more easy to dismiss your claims of abuse. So the more you can work on finding that calmness, being very fact based. So if, say, you're dealing with your bank manager, you know, having. Saying you know I'm I'm on this joint account you know I'm going to be accessing this I want to send it into a put it in a separate account you know if you're very logical and can explain to people what's going on you will find that people really do want to help Um, but it's keeping in that logical brain at a time when it's very hard to do so because most people feel very panicky when they're deciding to end a marriage they're often terrified of what their spouse is going to do in a lot of coercive control environments. um, You know, the person with the upper hand in power will sort of say, if you divorce me, I'll destroy you. Um, And the reality is once you have, I always look at a lawyer as like being like a guardian angel, because once you actually understand your protections under the law, you feel so much better. Like you've got someone in your corner helping you, but you do need to be in a position where you can not only retain them, but let them know what is going on and provide them what they need. You know, there's a lot of financial disclosure you need to provide and being able to do that with a clear mind um, is very helpful. So it's really working on keeping calm and fact-based at a crazy time. It's a huge ask, but it is the most helpful thing you can do when dealing in this kind of situation.
0: I agree with that. And I, you know, I think coaches in particular can be great for that Um, because I've seen situations you know even with uh, my own clients where they were victims of even physical abuse and when they meant went to make a report to the police about it because they were so emotional and not able to articulate things very well and because it was a historical abuse not something that had just happened they weren't taken seriously but then when I went with them um, and I was the one you know initiating things with the police and speaking you know we were able to get you know taken much more seriously and and as a result a charge ended up being laid but yeah. you know and it's frustrating i always i feel frustrated when i see a client not being taken seriously by someone who in my view should be taking them seriously but you know just that calm focused communication can be so important on so many fronts as you mentioned
1: yeah the people you're dealing with you know the reality is whether they're you know finance people or or um you know, the legal or people in law enforcement. um, They're very fact and evidence-based. It's just the nature of those jobs. And so, you know, the more you can deliver them what they need so they can do their job, the more helpful they can be to you.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, Jennifer, for coming on the podcast. As usual, uh, you've been a wealth of information. If listeners would like to work with you, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Probably my website is the best uh, place to start. It's designed so past tense designed divorce.com. And they you know, there's a whole bunch of information there access to resources. And um, I do offer a free consultation call. And even if you know, coaching isn't the right path, I can usually send them in the right direction. So it's always worth a call.
0: Well, thank you again. I really appreciate uh, all of the information you provided on this important topic. So thanks for sharing uh, that with us.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me on and for amplifying this issue. So it's the more people know about it, the more they can, you know, get help and not, not have to survive it for as long, at least, and get some, some remedy for it. So thank you so much for, um, for having this as a
0: topic. And thank you to my
1: listeners. Please tune in each week. Please like,
0: subscribe, refer the podcast to friends and family that it might be helpful for. And I will see you back here next week on Divorcing Well.
1: Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do.
0: Have an open discussion and not write us off
1: and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me.
0: You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope.
1: Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
0: Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.